In the name of the living God, creating, redeeming, and sustaining. Amen. Please be seated. So I heard a little voice as we were getting ready to hear the gospel saying, all done now, all done now. Did anybody else hear that? <laughs> and uh, I think it's um, kind of our human nature to look for the conclusions of things. Um, how many people are missing today? <laughs> Looks like many of us are here. The rapture didn't happen as far as we know. <laughs> and it's not the end of the world. <laughs> But isn't it interesting that our media focused so much on that? Everywhere I went yesterday, I officiated at a funeral. I wore my, my clergy collar, and people were stopping me. Nobody ever, not very many people ever stopped me. They stopped me and wanted to know about the end of the world, the rapture, eschatology, everything that had to do with the end times. They, wanted, they had a question. We're fascinated by all of this, and we have heard in the scriptures that one day Christ will return, but no one knows the time or the place. Jesus said that himself. Yet it's still our human nature to look for that conclusion. To seek a journey's end, we want to know the end of the story, and we hope that it's a happy ending. Our entire liturgy each week focuses on the Last Supper, the mystery of Christ's death, resurrection, ascension. How often do we reach the conclusion to our worship each week and then neglect that after we leave here, after we're nourished, we begin a new week. We're charged to go out into the world nourished by the presence of Christ and have a new beginning. I found that we Christians are much more apt to focus on the ends to cycles than to revel in the beginnings. Take the day of Easter, for instance. We mark the end of Lent, the season of Lent. We mark the end of strife, pain, suffering, the power of death, and we celebrate. But we forget that there's a whole 50 days, a season of Easter. We're in it right now. It's a season of resurrection, of new beginnings. We understate the power and importance of beginnings. So what about those beginnings? New beginnings, they're a time for celebration, but they're also a vulnerable time. A couple of my um, soon-to-be clergy friends from Virginia Theological Seminary had their baby last week, just a week before their graduation from seminary. And I've followed their birth of their child on Facebook this past week. It's been according to their updates on Facebook and the pictures, a wonderful time of celebration, but it's also been an exhausting time, a vulnerable time. They're starting to tend to and shape the character of this fragile new human life. Any of you who've ever had contact with a baby in its early stages have also witnessed the incredible growth that takes place so rapidly the power of their incredible resilience. We've witnessed in the past several days the vulnerability of beginnings, the sometimes destructive power of nature in the floods that have spread across the Mississippi River. One percent of all of those seedlings that were planted on our farmland in the United States this year was destroyed. 
The floods remind us that in beginnings we sometimes face disappointments, setbacks, even disaster. But all is never hopeless. Any farmer will tell you that despite the worst of their disasters on their land, there's always hope for a new planting season, the next beginning. On the news on Friday night, there was an oyster farmer from Louisiana, and he said, I've lost the entire crop of oysters this year, but because of the flood, there will be new reefs, and he's hopeful for an abundant harvest of oysters next year. He's already looking to the new beginning. Beginnings, they're vulnerable. They're powerful. They have the power of the Holy Spirit laden within them. They require extra care, trust in God. No matter what you're going through today, no matter your age, no matter what you've brought, no matter if it seems like a lot of things may be even ending, everyone here has some sort of new beginning they're facing in their life. So think about it. What are you beginning today? This morning, scriptures all celebrate the power of new beginnings in the people of faith. Psalm 8 is the very first hymn in our Psalter. Psalms 3 through 7 are five prayers of individuals asking for help with enemies or of one sort or another. But Psalm 8 begins the hymns. And it's a song of praise celebrating the divine majesty of God's creation, the dignity of human beings, their distinct role. What follows in the Psalms, as you all know, as we sing them and say them from week to week, are a journey of ups and downs, vulnerable places, places of great power, places of growth. But that first hymn begins as a song of praise at the mystery of God's glory. The lesson from the Acts of the Apostles that we heard this morning gives us a snapshot of the beginnings of the early church. The power in the words of those early apostles, Peter and John, they were just two ordinary, uneducated men, but they were going out healing people and praying in the name of Jesus Christ. The Sadducees had pulled them into prison. They'd questioned them, and before them were all these people that had been healed in Jesus' name, and no one could hold them. So they went out, and they kept praying, and in their prayers, they were so filled with boldness and the power of the Holy Spirit that the ground around them shook. New beginnings can be filled with great power. We heard the beginning of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, the planting of the church that spread in Greece. It was the first church in Greece, and Paul knew it was a vulnerable time, but he suggested that in it, God was making known to God's people the mystery of his will. The gospel lesson. We find Jesus leading people in new beginnings of faith, healing great crowds along the Sea of Galilee. They were becoming so overwhelmed, so overcome by the power of Jesus that they started following him. For three days, the crowds grew, and Jesus realized these people weren't even eating. They weren't taking care of themselves. They were growing weary and faint, and he became concerned. He charged his apostles, go out and find them something to eat. 
Are you kidding me? Where are we going to find food in this desert? There's nothing out here. There's just all of us people and definitely not enough food for everybody. He says, give me what you have. They present to him seven loaves of bread and a few fish. He gives thanks for them. And then he gives them to those disciples. And they, in turn, feed 4,000 men, besides the women and children. How did this miracle happen? Some believe it was a pure miracle. The fish and the loaves miraculously, literally multiplied. Others believe perhaps it was a miracle of transformation in the hearts of all those people gathered. That maybe they had carefully hoarded their food, as groups of people who aren't sure there's going to be enough tend to do. Maybe Jesus' prayer of thanksgiving, his assurance of abundant blessing, led those people to pull out what they'd hoarded, to share what they had. The fear of scarcity disappearing, all being fed. No matter your understanding of how it happened, it was a miracle. It was a new beginning of trust in Jesus. An assurance that God abundantly provides even when things at first look hopeless. An enormous group of people experienced transformation. Last summer, our youth took part in a harvest, the end to the growing cycle, at the Abundant Table Farmhouse Project up in Oxnard. They harvested all of the crops. They pulled up weeds to protect the plants from being strangled. They fed what they had gathered to those in need. They reflected on their faith throughout the week. And it was on the very last night, the conclusion to our time together, that Reverend Julie gathered us all together. She's the priest who guides the ministry up there. And she brought a whole bunch of the fruits of the harvest and laid them out on a table and gave each youth one seed and said, match the seed to the fruit. So they all scattered and grabbed which fruit they, wanted, or which fruit they thought went with their seed. And then she said, okay, how did your small seed become this big fruit-bearing plant that brought you this har- harvest? How did it happen? So someone said, well, it was all the nutrients in the soil. It was the sunshine, the water that came down in the form of rain or irrigation. It was our hands, us making sure that the weeds didn't choke the plants and all the hands that came before us this summer. And Julie said, all of these are good answers, but you didn't answer my question. How did the seed actually become a plant? She got a lot of blank looks. We answered your question already, Reverend Julie. (laughs) Then she reminded all of us that the growth of seedlings, the growth of human beings, the transformation of all of God's creation is a mystery. We cannot fully or directly control the growth of our food nor our own growth. We are co-creators with God. We do our part. God does God's part. And the transformation happens when we recognize that 
in each new beginning. At the close of our time together, Julie presented a check to our youth from the Abundant Table farmhouse. They'd made a decision to tithe back what we had given them for our week there. They told us it was our seedlings grant, our new start, our new beginning, to take back all we had harvested from our experience and start anew, bring it to those who weren't on the trip, bring it to all of you here at St. Wilfred's. The result of that grant and our new beginning that we've made throughout the course of this year is out in the courtyard today. There are scores of healthy, growing plants sprouted, tended, nurtured by our youth, by some adults in our parish, and especially helped by Nancy Claxton. And they're all available for you today to keep as a sign of the miracle of God's transformation. The ways that God grows in our youth and grows in us. And then the proceeds from the sale of the plants today will help eight of our youth on a new horizon, a new beginning of mission to Tanzania. Today we're also celebrating the new beginnings of lifelong journeys of faith. Eight of our young people and one adult, along with 11 others from the Diocese of Los Angeles, will be confirmed here in this place. They'll begin their ministry as confirmed members of the Episcopal Church. So today is a day to celebrate and trust in the power of new beginnings, the miracle of God's creation and growth. So I ask you all, what is your new beginning? Have you thought about the things that you can do to nurture and protect a new beginning in your life? Have you considered what's beyond your control? Where are the places that you must have faith, you must have hope that God ultimately will make transformation and growth possible? May the abundant presence of our creator God, the transforming power of Jesus Christ, and the miraculous movement of the Holy Spirit be in our midst this day. Amen. Let us stand and affirm our faith in the God that is ever creating and moving us in the Nicene Creed, found on page 358 of the Book of Common Prayer. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, truly God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. 
For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. As we gather in faith celebrating God's creation, let us bring our thanksgivings and petitions to God in prayer. We give thanks for the universal church around the world. We pray for the Anglican Communion, for Rowan, Archbishop of Canterbury, for our presiding Bishop Catherine, and our bishops, John, Diane, and Mary, and for our clergy here. We give thanks for our parish family and for the youth and children of St. Wilfred's. We pray for those from our parish that will be making their adult confirmation of faith and receiving the laying on of hands by the bishop this afternoon. We pray for Carissa, Anna Lee, Alec, Brennan, Dylan, Ben, Eli, Kirsten, and Donovan. For whom and what else in the church shall we pray? For God's church and people, let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. We give thanks for God's creation, for the ways that we are blessed by transformation, and for the growth that God so freely bestows upon us and upon all living things. We give thanks for our abundance and pray that we may be good stewards of all we have been given. For the wonders of creation, let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. We pray for God's creation. We pray for the victims of war, hunger, violence, and oppression. We pray especially for those affected by the floods along the Mississippi. We pray that places of alienation, struggle, and illness might be restored and redeemed. For whom and what other places shall we pray? For all these concerns, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for those who suffer in body, mind, or spirit. We pray for those